I could have said a lot of things, but I didn't. I just left everybody wondering. A good story takes us on a journey. It reminds us of where we've been and shows us where we could go. A good story makes us feel and inspires us to act. Welcome to the Good Story Podcast, where everyday stories that make you laugh, cry, or feel slightly uncomfortable will leave you inspired as Kirsten King tells true stories and teaches truth. Summer has begun. I'm so excited about that. We just finished our May party season with the youth group. Each year, during the final three Wednesdays of our regular youth ministry calendar, we celebrate with three parties in a row. I have to say I don't hate it. I kind of love it. But it's also kind of a relief when it's done. Week one, we have our end-of-the-year youth group parties. Both the junior high and the senior high youth groups gather together and celebrate. A month prior, the leaders meet and brainstorm themes. And from there, we plan games and contests and prizes and lots and lots of food. The week of the party, we spend hours decorating the youth rooms. And then that night, we come in costume. Leaders and students alike, we give out prizes for the games and prizes for the costumes. This past year, the junior high group had an amazing race theme. I was so impressed. The students and leaders divided into teams. They were running all around the church, both inside and outside, performing tasks, looking for clothes, doing all kinds of things. They ran around with their small group leaders like their lives depended on it. Our senior high group had a Dr. Seuss theme, which for those of you who know me might think this was my idea as I absolutely love Dr. Seuss. Like I love him, but it wasn't my idea. It was someone else's. But when it was said, I jumped on like white on rice. And in that planning session, I was so excited. We had games that night that included racing and spelling and making bird inventions. For our annual hot dog, each year we create a hot dog to match the theme. Like for the Hawaiian party, we had mango salsa on our hot dogs. And the cowboy party, we had chili with crushed up Fritos, stuff like that. This year, we dressed up our hot dogs in green relish and spam. Our costumes, Kenny dressed up like Cat in the Hat. I was Daisy Head Maisie. And of course, we end each of the evenings in a time of sharing how we saw God at work in the past year. We pray for those who are graduating, as well as for those who are going away for the summer to serve at camps or mission trips or whatever. So that's week one, parties, week one. Week two of celebration in May is our youth leader party. We combine leaders of both the junior and senior high and celebrate a year of ministry together. This year, our original idea was rained out. So instead, Kenny and I ended up taking the themes of our end-of-the-year youth group parties and combining them to make an amazing Seuss race-themed youth leader party. The leaders were divided into teams of two or three, and they followed rhyming clues around the church until they each ended up with a prize and the winning team got two. We gathered to share dinner and dessert, and again— a time of sharing where we thank God for the ways we saw him at work in us, through us, in spite of us, as we sought to love students throughout the year. Our youth leaders are rock stars and really, really good sports, I have to add. So that was week two. Week three of celebration in May is our graduates' launch party. This party is a formal gathering for seniors and their family members. 
We prepare and host a dinner with linen tablecloths and flowers and candles and, and real plates. That's a big deal in youth ministry when you bring out a real plate. We print out fancy menus and we don't run around chasing clues. We don't have games and prizes. Chicken Kiev replaces our crazy themed hot dogs and fancy clothes replace our costumes. Our senior high youth leaders join with the families as we honor each graduate. It's our desire to launch them from youth group and from the time we've shared together to their next adventure in life and the next adventure in their spiritual journey as well. We encourage them to continue to find a community of faith where they can both grow in the Lord and serve Him too. During this time together, we invite each one up individually to be prayed for by a person of their choosing. We also read a verse that they've picked out as one of their favorites. It's a bittersweet time. Don't you love the word bittersweet? Doesn't everybody say that at the end of the year at every graduation? But it's true. It's descriptive. It's hard to say goodbye to those that we've come to know and love and look forward to seeing each week. Yet we're also super excited to see what God has planned for them in the next years of their lives as well, in the majority of their life that's ahead of them, as we trust God to unroll his plan and his perfect timing. I love reading the verses that each of our students pick and oftentimes could maybe even pick for them based on what we've seen in their lives. In fact, maybe we'll do that next year. That sounds kind of fun. Because sometimes it's hard to pick a favorite verse, don't you think? I mean, it kind of depends on what you're going through at the time, doesn't it? Sometimes we need to be reminded, for example, from Proverbs that it's important for us to trust in the Lord with all our heart, not rely on what we think we know, and instead to acknowledge God in all of our ways and trust that He will direct our paths. Some days we're thrilled and filled with rejoicing, and we might echo the words of Psalm 35 that say, my tongue will speak of your righteousness and of your praises all day long. At other times, the days may seem way too long, and we need to cling to Psalm 34, where we read that God is close to the brokenhearted, and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. The word is full of verses that to us are meaningful at different times, so it's hard to pick a favorite one. There's so many great ones out there. Some, I will say, though, sound more appropriate than others do as a life verse. And I found that out firsthand one morning as a college student. I grew up in North St. Paul, Minnesota, which is a suburb, as you could probably guess, of the capital city, St. Paul. It was a close-knit community. My parents still live there. My dad was a doctor at the family practice clinic right on Main Street, which was across from the grocery store, which was down the street away from Ben Franklin, and a few blocks away from where my hair, mom would get her hair done, and a few other blocks away from Max Dinette, where I discovered Denver omelets and Pong. My parents were close friends with the mayor, whose daughter was the same age as my older sister. They lived across the lake from us. I remember times when Mayor Bill and his wife and daughter snowmobiled over to our house for snacks or dinner or something. It was during Mr. Sandberg's tenure as mayor, Mayor Bill, everyone called him. He was elected eight times. He served for 30 years. It was during his tenure as mayor that the North St. Paul prayer breakfast was established. This breakfast was meant to gather people from the community across all walks of life to focus for a morning on asking God to bless our town and those who lived and worked and visited there. This breakfast would include various scripture readings. It would include prayers offered by a variety of people, 
a keynote speaker, maybe some special music, and of course, a buffet breakfast and chatting with your neighbors and your friends. One year, when I was in college, I was asked to offer one of the prayers. I felt super humbled to be able to participate. I loved North St. Paul and was looking forward to the morning. Leading up to the event, I was contacted by a member of the, commu- of the committee. He called and he asked me to give him a favorite verse. And then he said, one that maybe identifies who you are. He then explained that this was the way they would introduce the participants of the program. He would say their name, he would identify their verse, and then he would read it aloud while they walked up to the platform. He said, that way, it's a couple things. There's no awkward dead space, and also, we get to fill our time with more scripture readings, which sounded great. This was before email or texting, so he called me, and he asked me my verses, and I ended up telling him the references over the phone. The day of the breakfast finally arrived. I had stayed overnight at my parents' the night before, so I'd be a little closer and wouldn't need to get up so early. I remember feeling a little bit nervous as we walked in to the space in the morning and made our way to our seats, finding our table. But after a bit, as I looked around and recognized neighbors and teachers, a few business people I knew, the mayor, I started to feel a little bit more comfortable. Breakfast began, and shortly after that, the program started. We started in prayer. Someone gave an invocation, one of the pastors in town. I heard the, another person introduced as they were going to read the Old Testament passage. The MC read part of Psalm 23 as their favorite verse. This continued throughout the morning. A person's name would be read. They would say, and now the favorite verse, the one that they felt identified themselves, is this, and then they would read it. At one point then, just as I thought, the MC said, okay, now Kirsten Broman is going to come to offer a prayer on behalf of our city. While she comes to the platform, he said, I will read her favorite verses found in Colossians 2, 17 and 23. I was standing up and I was walking toward the front and I paused for just a second. I was certain I told him Colossians 3, 17 and 23 because those actually were my favorite verses. I thought those were the verses that identified me pretty well at this point. In case you are unfamiliar, verse 17 says this, And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Verse 23 is similar with just a little nuance. It says this, Whatever you do, again, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord and and not for men. I was sure I told him these verses. Again, no email, no texting. I just said it over the phone. It couldn't have been a typo, though. These verses that talked about serving the Lord with our whole heart, everything we say, everything we do needs to be about Christ. I've been learning about these during my time at college, and I was kind of glad to share these verses with the people gathered there that day. I thought I had grown a lot in this area. Also, a little bit, a little grandiose there, but I thought I'd grown a lot in this area. But as I was walking to the platform that morning, I realized he did not say chapter three. He instead said chapter two. And I started to doubt me instead of him. I thought, well, maybe I did say something wrong. Maybe he read the references I mentioned, looked them up and thought, oh, she must have misspoken. So he changed them or something. I didn't know. So I listened carefully as I kept walking toward the platform and he continued on. And now I will read, he says, Colossians 2, 17, where it states, These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. 
I thought, well, clearly this is a verse that would benefit with a context, but at least it mentioned Christ. It wasn't that bad. And I made my way up the steps, across the stage, and I stood right next to him as he said, and the second verse Kirsten has chosen is found in the same chapter, verse 23. And I quote, Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. He turned. He looked at me. He handed me the microphone. He said, Kirsten? I looked at him. I took the microphone. I looked at the tables of people. I caught eyes with my mom who looked mortified. I wanted to shout out, no, mom, that's not my favorite verse. I looked back at the man who introduced me. I wanted to say, actually, my favorite verses are in the next chapter, chapter three. Do you mind if I read those now? I wanted to say lots of things, but I said none of those things. Instead, as he looked at me and I looked at him and I looked at my mortified mom and everybody there, I just said, let's pray. I prayed. And when I finished, I set the mic down. I walked back to my table, leaving everyone my mom included, wondering about my sensual indulgences. I wished that that wasn't the scripture that had been attached to me. I wish that scripture hadn't been read as my favorite verse, the ones I thought identified myself, but there wasn't much I could do about it. That was years ago. And as I think about it now, other than feeling a little bit painful, wishing I had time to kind of redo I realized it was also a little bit more than prideful to think that those two verses I thought described me. (laughs) As I think of it now, I can think of a couple of others that could have been used instead. In fact, I think of a couple others that could have been used even years afterwards instead. First, I think of Psalm 53, 5, where it says, there they were overwhelmed with dread where there was nothing to dread. Now, I know this verse too has a context and I know it's not all about me, but here's what I also know. I know there was a time when I absolutely could have been walking up to a platform somewhere and someone could have read, here's Kirsten, overwhelmed with dread when there was nothing to dread, and it would have been the most accurate description given. I know this because there was times in my life where I let fear rule my heart and my mind. I chose worry. I chose anxiety to crowd out the peace that the Holy Spirit wanted to give me. I focused on my lack of control and struggled to relinquish control to the God who really was in control. And I was overwhelmed with dread. It wasn't until I walked through a few periods in life where I learned to trust in God. I needed to be sure that this wasn't how I was identified. I knew if it was that it didn't speak well of a God who promised peace that goes beyond our understanding. I knew if I continued to live with this cloud of dread over me, there would never be an opportunity for someone to say, tell me the reason for the hope you have within you, because I would not be exuding hope. I have had to learn through the years that God is trustworthy, that he promises peace that goes beyond our understanding, and that God is good. God is able to accomplish all that concerns me. I need not be overwhelmed with dread when I have a God who holds the future in his hands and draws me close to himself as I draw near to him. Though the world gives ample opportunities for fear, my God gives us opportunities to trust him in that fear and to praise him while he carries us through it. 
So that verse would no longer perhaps be an accurate way to introduce me, at least not today, though once it was. I think next of Psalm 51, verses 3 to 6, where it says, For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Now there's a verse that would accurately be able to define and describe my state. A sinner in the eyes of God. A sinner whose transgressions are always before me. I could easily be accused of this. I could easily be accused of being one who sins against God, of one who does evil in his sight. This is true. My sin, your sin, our sin is all ultimately against God. And not only that, but there actually is one who is constantly accusing us of it. Satan himself. Satan, in Hebrew, literally means accuser as one of its definitions. And in Revelation 12, 9 to 10, we see that's how he is also identified. The one who testifies about our sin, accusing us of it before God day and night. His testimony, Satan's testimony, is that we sin and we do so repeatedly against our God. But it doesn't end there. If we were introduced with that verse as we walk to the platform, We wouldn't need to be left standing there wishing we could say something else, but coming up short. We absolutely could say something. We could say that, yes, though Satan may accuse us of sin, there is one who has overcome. We can affirm that while the enemy is full of fury, our God has gifted us grace. We could, each of us, boldly say, yes, this is true. I am a sinner and my transgressions are ever before me. But may I add this fact? If I confess my sin, God is faithful and just and will forgive me my sin and will cleanse me from all unrighteousness. Though my sins be as scarlet, they can be washed as white as snow because of what Jesus has done for me. What would I do today if I could choose my favorite verses now? I start thinking about this. What would I choose? Honestly, I would probably choose the same ones, but less now because I think they describe me (laughs) and more because I'd like them to. Just last week, I was doing something, something repetitive, something I didn't feel like doing, cleaning up something I didn't mess up, and I found myself wanting to complain about it. I started repeating this phrase, you're working for the Lord and not for men, working for the Lord and not for men. Clearly, it's not something that comes easy to me, yet... Likely, I'll have to repeat this again tomorrow and the next day and the next. But equally likely, the Holy Spirit will prove himself faithful. He will enable and empower me and he will enable and empower you so that whatever you do, whether in word or in deed, you will do it well in the name of the Lord. And together, we will all give thanks to God the Father through him. 